bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Greetings and salutations to all of our big gay listeners out there and to the heterosexuals as well who may have somehow stumbled upon Dark Knight of the Podcast. Hello, Troy. Hello. And it, it's such a, you know, an, a, a mysterious name. You wouldn't know that it's a gay themed podcast. So all these heteros are probably stumbling upon it and being like, what the hell is this? These two homos? Yeah. And then, and then they hear my voice and they're like, who's that young woman? <laughs> <laughs> who's that young woman on the other side of the microphone and they think it's Demi Moore and I say no it's a man uh, <laughs> but uh Troy how are you hey I am I'm good I'm here um here ready to talk about this lovely film yes god what a what a masterpiece and honestly I mean that I um I know that I um I know that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode are going to be listening specifically because of the title, because this movie has really grabbed the attention of a lot of um, modern day horror fans. Um, I know it's it's held high and respected and for good reason, because even though it's a horror comedy and the comedy at times takes precedence over the horror at its heart, it is a tribute to the films that we've been reviewing since, since day one, uh, a lot of those classic 80 slashers that you love so much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, this, this is a film that I think um, has a huge fan base. Uh, and honestly, it is probably one of the better films of the last decade uh, in the genre, but we'll get into that. We don't want to, we don't want to give our thoughts away too soon on this film. Although, I mean, I think you will be obviously obvious that we like this film. So we're we're going to get excited to jump in and talk about the final girls. Yes, the final girls. Not to be confused with the final girl, which also stars Alexander Ludwig, who appears in this film as well. It makes it very confusing for people. But this is the final girls, and in my opinion, it is superior. Oh, I don't. I don't like. I couldn't finish the other one, the final girl. I couldn't finish it. Uh, I know. It, it, yeah. It's Alexander Ludwig. That's it's cr- so crazy. He's in two movies that have the exact same title almost, but that one has, um, what's her name in it? Um, Al- Abigail Breslin. Yeah. Um, yeah. from little miss sunshine and all those films, but I just, I could not get into it. Maybe I have to watch it again. I don't know. I try. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it, but it, it didn't, uh, capture my heart like this film did upon first viewing of the final girls. I was absolutely smitten upon, honestly, upon first scene, I was smitten. Um, and a lot of that is uh, in tribute to um, uh, an amazing performance from Malin Ackerman. And we'll get into that more as this develops. But um, I, I'm really just, I was so charmed by this film. Uh, and I think that it's, um, yeah, it's just a great example of, a, in my opinion, a fan 
it had to be made by a fan of the of the genre. Todd Strauss Schulzen is the director, um, and he hasn't done a ton of stuff, but he did do a very a very Harold and Kumar three D Christmas, an iconic classic. And um, isn't it romantic that rom com comedy from a few years ago that like I didn't hate, but it was like not my favorite movie ever. Other than that, this guy doesn't have a ton under his belt, but um, yeah, watching this movie, I feel like he really needs to have a good understanding of the slasher genre in order to pay such homage to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of it's the script. Um, yeah. But again, yeah, I mean, hand, it, it, in the hands of a different director, it could have been, it could have won a different route because I think, I think this film does a really great job at balancing the the comedy and the horror without getting too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Too campy. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm surprised that he hasn't done more. But maybe, maybe, it's, yeah, maybe it's by choice. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, and it, and you're very right because it was written by uh, Emmy Fortin and Joshua John Miller, and you can tell that a lot of the heart of it, you're right, I mean, direction aside, a lot of the heart comes from some really solid writing. And these writers were able to take a script that is very much, a majority of it, I would say, is more leaning into comedy, but also give it moments of very, like, tender, heartfelt, genuine human emotion, which I would never expect in a a horror or a comedy Mm -hmm. um, or a blend of the two. And they do a great job of of giving you like humor moments of violence. And then these really like beautiful human moments that like totally take you by surprise. And I will be honest. And I know a lot of people are going to feel the same way. I have wept watching this film. Mm -hmm. I have genuinely cried watching this film and I mean it. So yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's just, let's just kind of, let's get into it. Yeah. Is there anything though you want to announce or golly? I mean, You know, I uh, know. I mean, think you, uh, right now I'm just so focused on my distro. That's kind of my thing. I, I do have a really exciting project that I'll be announcing on here in a few weeks. But I watched my the first cut of a teaser trailer for a new film I'm doing. Um, and we really are kind of like dabbling with the usage of CGI. And this is, um, honestly, it's this is a good thing to lead into. Because there's one thing that I do want to discuss about this film. And it's their incorporation of CGI um, through a lot of their sequences. Um, I'm not always a fan of CGI, but once in a while, if it's done right, I get it. I support it. And, I, and I've incorporated it. I used it in Rebirth, and now we're using it to a greater scale in our next film, which is called Domestic. And so we did uh, do a big like effect day, um, and I saw the results from that, and I was actually really happy, really impressed. I don't just show you that clip. The clip um, in the with the camera the, with the panning back, you know, it's pulling back, revealing the holes. Yeah, I'm trying to be really vague with what I'm saying because it's not been released yet. Yeah, and, yeah, you did. You did. It was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very well done. Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, how about you? Um, you know, not really. Just throwing myself in this the, the dark night of the podcast mode. I am working on a script. I actually uh, this this past week I was very proud of myself. I made I made some huge progress on this script, and I can see the end in sight. Um, and I yeah, so I've been I've been dabbling with that a little bit and getting some some stuff rolling on that. So I'll be super excited to announce that project because it's one that 
I'm very uh, I'm very passionate about. I started the script on it about two years ago, and I had no I, I know I'd mentioned Mrs. Claus too, but you know, I don't know this one. I, I just have I just feel a much more connection to, and I think I'm going to obviously let you read the script. I feel like you'll you'll kind of understand why. It's something that I don't think has been done before to the extent that I'm doing it. So uh, I really am interested in in seeing people's reactions. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. I feel the same way about the script that's been provided to, uh, to me for domestic. It's really fantastic. Um, and it's, it's touching on a lot of stuff that's really relevant right now. I think in the sense of like how people cope, how people deal with things. And, and so, um, uh, yeah, I can't wait to read yours. That's great. And if you are at some point needing a cast of voluptuous and youthful final girl, please reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, speaking of final girls, uh, the fi- the final girls, <laughs> uh, the, the this, the plot of this movie is um, one that could have easily gone awry, as we said, in the, the hands of the wrong team, uh, because there's a cheese factor to it that could easily just have come off poorly, I think. But um, it doesn't, and and I'm pretty impressed that they pull it off. Um, the movie starts off uh, with kind of a flashback sequence, and you're introduced to mother and daughter duo, um, uh, Amanda and Max Cartwright. Uh, Amanda being played by a stunning and ageless Malin Ackerman, whom need I say more? I love her. She's one of my favorites. And um, Max, the daughter, being played by Tisa Ferbiga. How do you even say her first name? I don't know. Taisa? <laughs> Asia? I, I, I was going to say the same thing. I, I don't know. I'm just going to call her Vera Farmiga's little sister. Yeah, Vera Farmiga 2.0. Um, and Vera Farmiga can act circles around. I agree on this. And you know what? I, I, you know, I've seen a few episodes of American Horror Story. It's not my favorite show, but I know she was on the first season. This is the only thing I've seen her in that I like her in. I have the I have the exact same note. Uh, she is boring as cardboard in American Horror Story. Every season, she is uh, almost unbearable. This is like she shows more personality, like in the first two minutes of this film, than she has in the entire season of American Horror Story. Yeah. So, and she's she's actually pretty good in this film. Yeah, well, she has a lot of moments where she really needs to show come some shock and awe, um, and not fearful shock and awe, but moments of realization. And again, we'll get into this more, uh, where basically you see her eyes like well up with tears in the mm-hmm. moment, and it just like it's kind of almost chilling because um, uh, she really Im- interprets some beautiful emotion in this film. Again, you wouldn't expect it. Um, well, we forget the film actually, the, the film opens with that, the retro trailer to Camp Bloodbath. Yes, yes. You're really introduced to who um, who Amanda is and what she's known for, mm-hmm. which is appearing in that movie. Yes, because she's uh, Max is watching the trailer on her phone as her mom is inside, apparently going on an interview. Um, and it's really interesting. I like the conversation that. Um, they have when she comes back and she's like the producer, you know, only knows me from Camp Bloodbath. Am I ever going to, you know, live that movie down? Like that's all anybody knows me for. And 
think about like how real that is in terms of all of these actresses and actors that are kind of making um, reemergences um, from the eighties who are literally known for like one film or one, you know, role in one of these kind of cult classic slasher flicks. And, and I, I mean, I've heard the same thing. I mean, I, I, I'm running the Houston horror film festival with uh, my friend, Tony Rodriguez, and we actually book celebrities. Um, and it's interesting to hear them talk about, you know, what they're known for and how sometimes they wish they were known for something else. Yeah. It's almost, I mean, there's kind of like, I, I hate to say like a love hate. I think that a lot of these actors have for the roles that have they become notorious for, but a lot of times some of these roles are the reason they're typecast, you know, and become the reason that they can't further their career. And um, that is a relatable arc. That whole opening scene, you know, because like you said, you're watching the trailer, so you get an idea of just the kind of quality of this movie that she was in. It's very much a cliche 1980s slasher along the lines of a Friday the 13th, like intentionally so. Um, but there's this whole, that whole conversation she has with Max. Uh, Amanda, you know, basically states that every time she goes out to an audition, that's what she's recognized for. But because of that, she never gets cast in any other roles. Um, but following that whole conversation, there's this really kind of like beautiful bonding moment between the two. You can tell that these two characters have a really strong bond as what I'm taking to be, you know, a single mother and her daughter who are very close. And the incorporation of the iconic song Betty Davis eyes uh, comes into play here and, and they're listening to this song and it really, it's, it's the perfect song for this relationship. Um, it's just, it touches you in this way that uh, everybody knows this song and loves the song, but there's like a melancholy tone to that song that like undercurrent to it that you feel. And it's just the right song in this moment. And of course, as you're in the midst of the two of them singing and dancing, they get hit by a car violently out of nowhere. And it is quite a sequence. The car flips multiple times and Amanda is killed. Yes. And it, yeah, it's, it's a very well done scene. Uh, and then we cut down to, or we cut to three years later. Okay. And we are with Max again, and she is apparently going to some study session with uh, Chris, who's played by Alexander Ludwig, who's adorable in this film. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He's great. But she's at a, yeah, she's at a, uh, yeah, so they go to this, well, she's with her friend Gertie, okay? Can we just say the characters in this film are fucking phenomenal. This is one of the best ensemble casts I can think of today. I mean, the yeah, each of these characters, and we'll get to it, but I just, I mean, have their own very distinct personalities, very distinct quirks. Yes, great one-liners. Great one-liners. Yeah, um, and I love Alia Shawkat from Green Room. Like, she is such a versatile actress, but her humor, she's got such a good delivery of, like, dry sarcasm, and she's so, so perfect for this role. Like, later on, there's, there's a sequence where she's like, am I having a stroke? And like, just the way she delivers that line, she's so good. But yeah, yeah, it's such a great ensemble across the board. So... Yeah, they're basically what happens is she goes to the study session. They're at a, they're at a little diner, um, and Duncan, who is um, Gertie's stepbrother, apparently shows up, and he wants to. 
Well, he invites Max to be part of a showing of the Camp Bloodbath 1 and 2, right? And he, because it's, you know, hey, this your, your mom was, you know, the, the actress in it. She does not want to do it, and she only agrees to do it because she's failing all of her classes, and he agrees to do all of her, her work for her. So, um, yeah, so they go they go see uh, Camp Bloodbath uh, at the theater. Yeah, and the whole the whole introduction of her resistance and hesitation with this specific film, again, really well played uh, with that dialogue sequence that we did have at the opening of the film because of the, you know, Amanda expressing her issue with being part of this film. Um, it makes sense why this would carry over with her daughter, that that there that it's really hard for her to appreciate this movie because it was, it's probably, I mean, A, it's a big reason why I would say a factor as to why her mother died, you know, <laughs> going to these auditions and trying, you know, like things playing out the, the way they did, but B, the material watching her mother get killed on camera, that has to be pretty hard to palette. Um, a lot of these little notes about her journey with the loss of her mother, which comes up so much more as the movie goes on, but just really well played, really well written. And, um, and really well explored. It's such a great character arc. So yeah, but they go to um, they go to the screening where they meet up with. Overall, you're kind of introduced to the main ensemble, which is you know Gertie and um, Max, and then you also have uh, Duncan and Chris is there, uh, and his ex girlfriend Vicky. <laughs> who is my personal favorite character because uh, she's so well played by Nina Debrev, De I think is how you say her name. Um, she just like basically pulls up <laughs> in a car, like with a guy. She's like, oh my God, what are you guys doing here? This is my new boyfriend. It's so like obvious she's not over Chris, but she, she plays it so well. She's like so like self-assured and confident or so it seems, but you can tell it's totally stemming from like the fact that she can't get what she wants. I love it. She's such a good character. Yeah, she is. She has some great lines too and some great reactions. Yes. Yeah, you definitely know she's not over Chris because he go when he goes to get Max um and him some popcorn and soda, she's like, Oh, remember to get me a small and dump half of it out. Oh wait, I'll just go with you. <laughs> like it's clear like the relationship is still like not done for her. Um, but it's it's a fun, it's a fun arc for that they explore with her as well. And um one thing I really like about these characters is even the characters that are supposed to be kind of like unlikable really get some human moments as well um her character is like the token bitch and she's often played that way and she also has some really great choices she makes and some great pieces of dialogue that like wow this character is far more layered than i would ever anticipate from a movie like this um yeah but so you've got this really great core ensemble and they go in to see this film and um, basically, through a series of unfortunate events, through the rowdy, the, the audience is really loud and rowdy and dressed up and everything. And um, uh, there's a guy who's like smoking a blunt, uh, and a bottle of like vodka is dropped and rolls dramatically through the feet of the patrons, and the ash from the blunt drops and it hits the bottle and sends the entire theater ablaze. Well, it's a, yeah, well, first thing I noticed, because I, I miss it so much, is that theater is fucking packed. And I'm like, oh my god, I miss that. But um, it is a packed theater, and I like this sequence. I mean, this is a sequence we see, you know, done quite a bit, but it's kind of like the film within the film. 
So we're watching, we're watching Cat Bloodbath, you know, within the final girls. And it's, 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 it's well done. It, you, it's, they capture the 80 slasher tone just from the little scenes that we see of it so well. And it's, you know, the audience, it's kind of like the beginning of sort of like Scream 2 where the audience knows all of the lines and are, are, are repeating the lines as the characters say them. It's kind of that whole thing. Yeah, they do a great job with that. Yeah, and this is where we get kind of introduced to the villain of the film who has the very generic name of Billy Murphy. Kind of not the most slasheristic name I've heard, but Billy Murphy. I'm like, okay. Um, and we find out that uh, he was bullied at camp. Okay, very, like I said, this is very Friday the 13th, very the burning-ish. He was bullied at camp. The kids, I, and basically a prank was pulled on him where he goes into an outhouse and the kids throw a bunch of firecrackers in him in the outhouse. And he basically gets his face burned and um, he plots his revenge um, at camp. What's this camp called? Camp Bluebird? Camp? Uh, oh my God. Uh, I'm trying to think of the line that Tiba said. Like, hey, you guys have the way to camp. Camp, oh God, what is the name of the actual camp? I, I just called it Camp Bloodbath. That's because that, that's what it's... Oh my gosh. I think it's like Camp Bluebird or something. Camp I don't gray, know. Gray, something, yeah, no, it's something, it's something really like cliche. Yeah, well, I'm sure it'll come to us like three days after recording this podcast. <laughs> right, right. But I love the whole sequence with the bottle rolling how they shot that. Um, and yeah, so the, right as the character of um, Max's mom's character is about to get killed, she gets up to leave because she doesn't want to watch it, uh, which is understandable, right? And um, that's right as she's leaving is when the, the flame hits the vodka and kind of the whole theater goes up in flames. And so the... The four, the four of them, or the five of them, basically they escape through the screen. <laughs> they rip a hole in the screen, or she picks up a machete that someone had, one of the fans had had. She cuts a rip in the screen right as her mom's getting killed with the machete, which is kind of cool. Yes. And they they hop yeah. through this, they hop behind the screen and go, try to get out. And I, it's kind of haunting because she kind of gives that uh, Max's character gives that kind of look behind her before she goes into the screen, and like everyone is on fire, the whole theater's burning down, and. It's kind of, yeah, that's kind of crazy, but yeah. So they they hop through the screen and happen to wake up in a whole new world. <laughs> and this is, I wonder, I kind of wonder if the filmmakers have seen or the the scriptwriters saw that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. I can't even remember what year it's from. I think it's it's definitely before this film called Midnight Movie. Oh yes, I've seen that film before. It's yeah, very similar to this. Yeah, very similar. So I'm wondering if they kind of borrowed that element from this film. Yeah, it almost has kind of like, I mean, the way they do it, it's almost like a Wizard of Oz kind of moment where like they wake up and they're like, where are we? Everything's so colorful. Like this, and this is where I was going to bring up kind of the CGI discussion is like a lot of the, the world around them, at least within the movie is very enhanced. Like at one point there's a scene where there's a conversation held under a tree and it's very dramatic, like the colors of the flowers and there's like pollen count and like, it just, they really like add like all of this uh, lush color and texture and everything. And I, I'm sure this is to give it that kind of like, um, um, 
give it almost like that kind of 1980s, like oversaturated vibe a bit, you know, those, how the colors are really rich and the blues are really blue, but um, yeah, it does, it does read very CGI at times. And it's because it has to have been enhanced a bit, um, which was a, kind of a strange choice but it also kind of works because you're in this alternate reality and it very much differentiates that from reality you know oh absolutely absolutely yeah so they (laughs) they 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 kind of all gather and then down the road comes the van oh my god i love it hey mickey you're so fine you're so fine you'll blow my mind hey mickey hey mickey (laughs) and the van pulls up and we get a great shot of Tina. <laughs> God, she's hilarious. Oh. Yeah, we're introduced to the, the cast of the film within the film, which is so cool. Um, and obviously the leads have no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> They're like, okay. And, and it's funny because they kind of pull this stunt where they – on the screen, it says like nine. Obviously, the film's ninety-two minutes long, so it keeps saying ninety-two minutes later, and then the van comes again. So it's like they're stuck in this, you know, this universe that they can't really escape. Which again has also reminded me of another film called. See, I have I'm, I'm just, all these films come to my mind called Camp Slaughter that kind of does the same thing where the characters get stuck in. Yeah, I've seen Camp Slaughter as well. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. But these characters are finally they uh, Duncan is like, we got to we got to get in the van because what else are we going to do? So right. they get in the van with this group and you got. Yeah, you got Tina. You get um, Kurt played by Adam Devine. <laughs> is it divine? I think so. Side note, he is from Iowa. Oh, and, he looks like he'd be from Iowa. Yeah, he's from Waterloo, Iowa. And actually, I don't know if my friend Seth, ex-friend Seth, we haven't really talked forever is ever going to listen to this, but um, fun fact is I had a really good friend when I was living in Iowa named Seth. Hey Seth. And that's his cousin. <laughs> oh wow. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, I'm, I'm bummed that we kind of had a falling out. We didn't really have a falling out. I just, I moved. So we don't really talk anymore, but I kind of bummed because I could have hung out with Adam, Adam divine many times. Oh my God. I have like a boy crush on Adam divine. I think he's so cute. I love the way he's so like, he plays a dick so well. I watch workaholics a lot and it's so like their jokes are so gay. They're always doing such gay things to each other. It's kind of a turn on. <laughs> I'm, I'm always seeing like him post pictures with Adam and they're like at university of Iowa football games. I'm like, God damn it. I should have stayed in touch with you. Cause I could... But no, he is a great character as well. I love his little, he's so, he's such a dick. I love when he's like, your guys' clothes are hideous. Are you poor people? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, just like, nice boobs. Like the way he says things. He's got like the cherries tattooed on his arm. He's like, they call me the cherry thief because I'm always stealing cherries or like whatever he says. He's just so like confident in himself, but at the same time, so gross. Yeah, I love when he he calls um, Vicky fun bags. <laughs> it's so degrading, which is so the eighties though too, because like women were not respected in any way. So like it does make sense, and it's very t- like it's very much like wink wink. It's a, so self aware. This movie is so self aware. I love it. Um, and then there's um, Blake with the braces yeah um and i'm trying to think well yeah i mean that's you have all of them and everyone's in the vehicle and they're completely confused as to why they're there but uh they're basically one of the 
individuals in the vehicle inquires, like, are you, are you camp counselors? And they're like, uh, yes, we are. <laughs> and uh, they kind of basically convince them that they're the new staff of camp, camp counselors that are uh, on their way there. So they don't, it's not questioned. Um, but in the midst of all of this, um, in, in the back of the vehicle, Max turns around and she sees the character of Nancy waking up from a nap. And Nancy is the character that was played by her mother, Amanda. So we have this, and like one of the first moments that you get one of these really, really beautiful emotional moments from, um, from Teresa Formiga, um, where she's realizing, oh my God, I'm in this movie. I'm stuck in this movie, in this vehicle with my mother. I mean, it's, it is her mom. Obviously her mom, it's the character. It's the mindset of the character, but um, it's, it's such a, such a unique angle to throw into a film like this and a bold choice and a really mature choice as you see, as this starts to evolve. But so that, and that presents to me what I would consider the main arc of the film is this whole journey with Max of realizing she's in the situation with a, with the form of her mother in, in some context um, and having to go through this journey, you know, and it's, it's really a beautiful journey. Um, but yeah, so they basically, they arrive at the camp and uh, get out and they are there, they are in the film and everything kind of starts to unfold exactly as it does within the movie. Yes. And I love the, I love the dialogue to this movie. The, the banter between the characters is so funny, uh, realistic. It's, it doesn't seem forced. Uh, and you get, like I said, you get so many distinct personalities with, with these characters that they are all very distinct, um, which is, you know, interesting because you have the, you have the main group, the, the, the main group of characters, the real you know people that are there and they are all very distinct. And then you have the other group who are supposed to be like your slasher um, film, like cliched characters. But even they're really not, I don't think, because I mean, yeah, you have like the the the, the jock, like in in uh, the Kurt character, and then you get the kind of the ditzy, oversexualized um, Tina. Uh, but still, there's something very real about the characters. And one thing I was always thinking in my mind when I was watching this film is like I'm thinking of like the traditional like final girl um, in, in in slasher films, and in my mind, like the character of Nancy would have been the final girl in this film. I mean, she's just very fitting. She fits kind of the whole wholesomeness of the final girl, but in this film, she's not the final girl. The final girl is some like badass chick that reminded me of that weird Tory that showed up in the saved by the bell, like the final scene. Yeah. Paula. <laughs> Her name's Paula, and she shows up in like like a Ferrari. She's so yeah, she's like a badass, but she's also supposed to be a virgin at the same time because that's the whole thing. It's like a, the and it comes up time and time again. It's the you know the virgin is always the one that survives. But that's where, that's one thing the film kind of because Nancy never actually has sex with Kurt. He gets ready to remember, and then he gets killed. So she's still technically a virgin. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the, the sexualization of characters in general. I think is what what is really kind of uh, what makes them a target of Billy. Um, once a character is sexualized in any way, and this is a very much a PG-13 film, let's keep in mind. And, and that goes toward from, you know, sex to language 
to uh, gore. Like this overall is not a very horribly violent movie. There's uh, maybe one or two kills that are kind of violent, but for the most part, uh, you're you're not getting a ton of bloodshed. Uh, so much as cool sequences, you know, uh, but they do, you know, what you don't get in violence, what you don't get in gore, you get in great characters, great dialogue, everything else. Um, but so, yeah, so they're basically, they're there at the, at the camp and um, the character of Duncan is really like kind of explaining everything. And he's so invested. He's very into this. He's chatting up all the characters, whereas as everybody else just is like, we need to figure out how to get out of here. But he kind of comes to the conclusion, well, you got to let the movie kind of follow its, you know, the path that it's meant to go. Like you, we've got to let the movie naturally unfold. And so um, they realized that by following the character of Mimi, who was like the hippie girl with the flowers. Cause he's like, this is right on cue. She's going into the woods. This is how the movie unfolds. Let's go follow it and see what happens. Yeah. You get the, well, you get the scene where Nancy is telling Max that she that she wants to lose her virginity, and that's kind of a humorous scene because we 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 the audience knows that the awkwardness that Max has to be feeling because this is her quote unquote mother talking about how this guy she's going to bang this guy because she's tired of being a virgin and he's and so this is where Teresa Farmiga's performance is just really really well done. She needs to work with this director like forever if he can get this performance out of her. Uh, because her facial responses are are funny um, when her mom is like, oh, I'm going to bang him, you know. And she's like, no, don't have sex. And keep your shorts on, you know. And um, it's it's funny. It's, it's a very humorous, touching scene, though. Um, and then you get the whole confrontation between Duncan and the Kurt character where Duncan's like, uh, oh, no, Chris goes to say, hey, can we borrow the keys to your van? And Duncan, being a dick, throws the keys into the woods. So as they are searching for the keys in the woods, that's when we see the whole, um, what's the girls, the, the hippie girl show up. Yeah. 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 And they basically are there watching it on her death unfold in front of them. And they're like, what should we do something? And Duncan's like, Nope, just, just watch. (laughs) He's watching like, he's like eager and into it. He's such a nerd. He's such like, obviously a horror nerd. And, but he's, convinced that like because they're in a movie like none of this is really happening and so you see the whole sequence where Mimi runs into this like hiker and instantly is like let's have sex like like they instantly seduce each other and she has like a great 80s throwback line she's like where's the beef I said where's the beef and like they, they get killed you know uh violently and uh and Duncan is just watching on delighted and so the body gets thrown, like they're hiding behind a log and <laughs> Billy throws the body right at them. And they like all like are like startled. And Duncan's like, it's not real, guys. Come on. And he like <laughs> takes his fingers and swipes some of her blood. And he's like, see, it's going to taste like, like Bosco syrup. And he like, let's see, he's like, oh, <laughs> it's clearly obviously real blood. So he's wrong. And he turns around to find Billy there staring him down. And he's then violently macheted. <laughs> well, it's kind of it's kind of a well done. Well, it is a it's not kind of it is a well done scene because actually Billy, yeah, he's trying to take a selfie, and Billy shows up behind him and just stands there for a few minutes, and then walks away. So we think, oh, well, okay, well maybe this killer can't kill 
these characters because they're not part of the movie. And right as Duncan's getting ready to say, hey, look, uh, the machete just goes right into his side. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so fun. Yeah, he is. <laughs> but- he is violently murdered. And then the others have to run back to the to the camp and try to like pretend, you know, that everything's okay. But you have that sequence where they all run and they're all just like they're running in a loop and they keep and, and they keep running by Tina where she's like, hi guys. It keeps like repeating. Where are you <laughs> going? You're gonna miss the slumber party. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the exact same clip of her every time, and they realize like they can't. They can't break out of this reality and they cannot prevent things from unfolding the way they're naturally meant to unfold. So, um, you know, yeah, you basically, I mean, Duncan is killed. And you start to realize that not only are the characters in this film going to die the way they're meant to die, but now that these other characters are incorporated in the film, they've become victims as well. Uh, and it's take, it takes quite a turn. <laughs> It does. It does. So they're in the they're in the cabin all singing "Kumbaya," and uh, the, I just love the, the the camera pans across the the real the the movie counselors are singing "Kumbaya," and I love this whole scene because then the camera just pans into a circle to to just focus close up on the faces of the main characters that are in the film and just their reactions to these characters singing kumbaya it is so funny these and they're also like still recovering from the fact that duncan was just killed so they are like traumatized like they're just the contrast is great and this is when this is when paula shows up in her little yeah firebird god she's she's beautiful yeah she's stunning um and I, I do have to say, like, you started to mention it earlier, but this is, uh, you really start to see with the character of Nancy, you really see see Malin Ackerman's uh, acting chops, like, at work. Because to start off the movie, like, the character of Amanda was very specific. You know, she's, like, she's uh, a former actress who's down on her luck and very natural and very real and seated in the real world. And... Um, played a very specific way. And then you see this character of Nancy who is supposed to be the same, you know, the same woman, but playing a character that is very different from herself. Um, and Malin Ackerman doesn't like effort, effortlessly. Like she makes this character of Nancy, someone totally different, but also so loving and so relatable and so natural. And the progression from being like a movie trope to becoming a flesh out character within this film, it's an amazing performance. It's so underrated. I, I really don't understand how she get more acknowledgement. I, I'm bitter that she, because, you know, I run, I run the Fright Meter Awards, which are little, you know, I mean, little horror movie awards I started a while back. And um, I'm bitter that she lost the Fright Meter Award. <laughs> Damn you, committee. Um, <laughs> she, she deserved it. And she lost to like some, I don't even remember, the lady from the, played the gram on the visit. I'm like, huh. oh, come on. But what was I going to say? Paula's arrival. Paula, yeah. And Paula is not your typical final girl at all, I don't think. Uh, I, like I said, I still think that Nancy is more of the final girl type than Paula. But it doesn't matter because Paula really doesn't last long. <laughs> um <laughs> which is hilarious because she is supposed to be the final girl and everyone is like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta stick with Paula. We gotta stick with Paula. She's the final girl. Um, and this is when we kind of get the characters split up and, and they each go with kind of different characters. Um, because there is that scene where like, um, Chris is with 
Kurt out on the picnic table and Vicky is with Paula and she's talking about how she wants chainsaws. And I love, I love the Paula's reaction. She's like, oh, what do we need chainsaws for? Just the way she says it. It's really right. <laughs> but there is a, there's a moment in this film and I, I guess, do I want to bring it up? I guess I do want to bring it up because we are a gay theme mm-hmm. podcast, right? Um, and I want to know what your thoughts are as far as whether this is, here's that word I'm going to throw out again, problematic or not. Kurt, when he's having a conversation with Chris, says the word faggot. Yeah. I mean, I, I know like I'm surprised that when this film isn't brought up that more gay people don't mention that because like I remember, or I remember seeing whole posts even still recently wanting to cancel like Jason versus Freddie and cancel Kelly Rowland because she says the word faggot in that. Yeah. Not that I'm saying don't cancel this. That's not what I'm saying at all. Because to me, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, but I know some people using that word is super, super, super problematic. Yeah. But think of how those unfold. Like, so like in Freddie versus Jason, the, the dialogue, Kelly Rowland's dialogue is literally like, look at that sweater. Only a faggot would wear that sweater. Kind of like that. It was used very derogatory. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this situation, he uses the term faggot. And I do believe that Chris is like, I have two dads. And then, and, um, <laughs> and Kurt is like, uh, I don't believe you. And he basically like goes off into this dialogue. He's like, I mean, I don't have a problem with gay people. They basically just hang out all the time and have really great sex and, actually sounds pretty cool (laughs) like it's i think that was more like touching on you know what was problematic about the era and how the things have changed you know it's pointing out like you can't talk like that anymore so to me yeah no i i agree no i'm bringing i'm just bringing it up because i i figure it's it's something that you know living in the day and age we are now with the whole cancel culture and people being super aware of movies that you know, have, I think there's an issue with people that don't really look at the time period that a movie was made. They want to, they want to try to apply kind of current uh, political climate to movies that were made 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. And you can't. No, you can't. It's, it's a different era. It's a different mentality. And all you can do is acknowledge the evolution that has happened since. Like you can't change what happened in the past. All you can hope is that we can grow from that and do better. But um, to erase things from existence. Again, I, I was not bringing it up because I have an issue with it at all. I mean, I'm not even offended by the faggot use in, in Freddy versus Jason. I mean, I'm not. And I know there's people that are like, oh, you need to cut that whole scene out and re-read Whatever. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, seriously. I get the reason why it's you know, some people find it problematic now. But again, this that film came out in 2000 and, you know. One. It's a product of the times. It's, it is. Yeah. I was just like shocked that I don't really ever hear anybody because I don't. I don't remember like that word being used in this film until I watched it. And I'm like, oh shit, they say that word. Right. Okay. How right. come that's not brought up when you because gays love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think I think I think they actually did though on purpose use that word for that reason. You know what I mean? Of, of having it be called out and say, that's not okay now. You know, um, and I think that's why it's kind of looked at. Like, like, just like it's something if you would do something with like a racial uh, situation in a film and you had characters be like, um, 
do not use that word. Do not do that. Do, you know, then I think it's sending a certain message across to a certain audience. And I think in some ways that's kind of important, but yeah. So, um, but overall you, you, yeah, they break off into these little groups and you start to see, um, that, uh, Gertie is kind of like forming a little bit of like a romance with the character of Blake. Blake's a character who doesn't get, I would say he gets the least attention out of everybody in the cast overall, but uh, you do get to see this nice little romance developing between these two nerdy characters. And it's very cute. Um, And of course, Max pursues Nancy and has a conversation with her about why it's important she not have sex with Kurt. Yes. Yeah, you're right about Blake. I, I couldn't even remember his name. And like, he'll pop up and I'll be like, oh yeah, he's in this movie. Yeah, he was very underutilized. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that was done intentionally um, because he is the only black cast member in the film. And, you know, slasher films are very notorious for, you know, how they dealt with black characters. They're usually the first to die or the least developed characters in the film. We, we kind of have that situation. It's like I'm throwing back to like Scream 2, kind of Jada Pinkett's little ran, rampage on the issue. So I was wondering if it was done purposely or if it's just they had one too many characters in the script and they didn't really know how to, you know, use him. Because, yeah, he pops in and like I said, I'm like, oh, God, he's in this. I forgot he's even a character in here. But he's he's very cute. And I love yeah. the whole their whole um, dynamic between him and Gertie. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, so Nancy, Max stops Nancy literally from having sex. She's in the bedroom getting ready to do it. And, you know, Adam, or Adam, I have Kurt, Adam Devine, comes in in his little purple underwear. <laughs> and, yeah, Max and Max and Chris stop her from doing it. And then you get the sequence, which really cool, where Max starts to, or not Max, Nancy starts to tell the flashback sequence about how basically Billy Murphy came to be. Um, and it's really cool sequence, a little cheesy looking now, but I'm assuming 10 years ago, it looked pretty decent, but the screen starts to like drip, um, and get all gooey and they go, they actually get transferred back into the flashback in the film. So now they're back in the summer of 1957 and they're like actually witnessing this happen to, to Billy. Yeah, they're actually, and it's, it's like, there are aspects of this that I, that are, um just really well played it's um i think and where they're actually able to like climb over the letters and everything of or the numbers 1957 like every aspect of this flashback is is a a reality for them Mm -hmm. you know they're they're in it they're actually interactive with it and it's really cool and yeah that whole drip effect and everything that's where gertie has the line am i having a stroke (laughs) like everything's black and white like it just i love their complete like confusion and lack of understanding of what's going on it's so well played. yeah it is and you got it yeah and I, I love the fact that there's that certain music that plays every time billy is somewhere around and they can hear the music you know and they're like what yeah um yeah it's so funny that flashback sequence is really well done especially like you said they trip over the they trip over the words summer 1957 it's 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 so cute uh yeah for a film like this it's just these little touches that add kind of this layer to this film that didn't really need to be there but i'm so glad it is because it just makes the film what it is even more and that's just it's it's a great film but we we will keep going Uh, um so this is when we find out you know billy or yeah billy 
basically was burned and now he, he came back to the camp and killed eight counselors and now he kind of supposedly lives in the woods, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's very Jason Voorhees. Um, and then they get transferred back into real the 1986 or whenever this movie is supposed to take place. And they hear the music and like, this is when Billy shows up. And this is the scene where things take a huge turn because they all kind of take off running in their own ways. And Vicky, no, not Vicky, Paula and Kurt get in her little um, firebird and take off down the road. And, you know, remember, she's supposed to be the final girl. Paula's supposed to be the final girl. And Duncan comes out of nowhere and she <laughs> and then because she hits him, she kind of swerved and she runs into like the totem pole sign of the camp. Kurt goes flying out the window and like literally lands and like full. His body is like crunched, like he like flips over. Like he like his 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 spine is like broken backwards. It's very, it's actually like probably the most violent death in the film. It is. It's very violent. And then guess what? Before Paula can get out of the car, it blows up and she's burned to death. (laughs) (laughs) Quite the twist. (laughs) So now they're like, what the heck are we supposed to do now? That was the final girl. Um, And so they all have a conversation about who should be the final girl. And this is kind of funny too, because of course Vicky's like, oh, she's doing it very like this, like dismissively, like, like it's a really something that's putting her out. She's like, oh, well, I guess I'll do it. Clearly, it's me. I'm the final girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, they're all looking at her, and they're like, "What?" And he's, "You're not even a virgin." <laughs> and so they figure out that really the only person that can do it is Max because she is the virgin of the film. Even though we know that uh, Nancy's still a virgin, but Nancy can't do it because of her fate is kind of sealed in the film. Even though that doesn't really make sense because obviously the film is not set in stone. Like they're trying to make it out to be because we, Paula just died. So. Right. Well, and Max is trying to realize that because she starts to kind of come up with a concept of maybe there's a way to keep Nancy alive. You know, she's, she's trying to kind of come up with an idea of a like plan around the idea that if she can keep her alive through the film, then she can maybe bring her back into reality uh which again another emotional layer that you wouldn't expect from a movie like this um but so they basically begin to create a plot of how they're going to get the machete from billy and how they're going to (laughs) lure they're going to lure billy to their to the cabin and overpower him and take him down with this really elaborate trap and get the machete and then have max the final girl defeat him uh, thus saving everybody. Yeah. They call it Operation Booby Trap. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has it all mapped out on a on a on a board. Uh, but yeah, I, I like I love this whole scene. I mean, I there's just little jabs of dialogue that are so funny to me. Um when you know, because when they're talking about who's gonna be the final girl, and there's the whole thing where like everyone thinks first everyone thinks Gertie's a virgin, and she's like, oh no. Um, no, I, I slept with it. And Vicky's like, wait, wasn't he autistic? <laughs> it just, yes. And I had feelings for him. Like she's like, <laughs> and he was very sensitive. <laughs> it's so funny. And then, yeah, you get the touching, 
Yeah, you get the touching scene between Max and Nancy about dying and having kids because Nancy's like, I'm never going to get the chance to have kids. And it's really touching because we know she does have it's just, it's so well done. So well done. Oh my God. It's so touching. It's so touching. Um, and like all these characters, just as all this is going on, they're all becoming so likable. Like I had said this earlier, but even like characters like Vicky, like she has a, a really like, as they're all kind of planning for this, they're all, they're all kind of realizing like that they fall into their own tropes. And Vicky has a moment where she apologizes to Max. Um, but she, and she says, she's like, you know, after everything that happened, you just pulled away and let's be honest, I'm going to die. Like if anyone dies, I'm going to die. I'm the token bitch. I'm the one that's going to die. And um, it's really like, again, a very human moment and a character who's supposed to be really unlikable, but instead like has this beautiful arc and really well played. And yeah, it just, this movie keeps delivering in all aspects. Um, but coming down to this whole uh, plan, you know, booby trap. Um, it, it involves, it involves Tina doing a strip tease. And I, I love this because like they don't want, they want everything to be, in place so they built this elaborate booby trap with like hammers that fall down and you know nets and bow and arrows and stuff but they don't want tina to do it prematurely so she they literally have have her in a life jacket with like oven mitts on well they tied that they they, they tape the oven mitts to her hand because she she found a bottle of vicky's um oh my god what is uh, what is the medication what is Adderall <laughs> and, she, and, and Tina is like so curious about this Adderall so they're like we can't let her touch anything so they, yeah they tape down these oven mitts but she finally manages to get one off and she eats the entire bottle of Adderall <laughs> which thus leads into I would say one of the best striptease numbers I have ever seen in a film <laughs> well I mean come on we had um, we had the girl from Hind Go Shriek though that was erotic. This has a level of energy. <laughs> it's to, uh, what is it? To like, uh, she's my cherry pie. Is that, yeah. And it's like, duh, 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 and you just see her leg, like, kick up, like, <laughs> outside of the door. It's so funny. Like, this whole scene is gold with her. Like, why isn't this actress doing more? Angela Timber, I think. She needs to be. In- yeah. Because she's, this, this is like comedy gold her whole this whole thing like there's a scene where she's trying, she's trying to eat the cell phone <laughs> <laughs> because she can't do anything because her hands are safe. but like so this whole striptease consists of her like removing the mittens and the life jacket and she's like chest popping it's like it's like double time the pace of the music because she's just so medicated but like uh basically and and it gets she she lifts her top eventually and billy appears of course and he starts coming towards her but she's so wired that she freaks out and trips and, she, and tina falls into the bear trap and sets up the whole the whole um the whole plan it, it goes horribly awry yes her head literally falls into the bear trap and closes i'm like oh my god so they all have to start shooting they're all like he's coming and he st- oh he stabs poor um blake yeah yeah, that's kind of sad. Gertie's like, oh no. And they do have a really cool scene where they're shooting him with those flaming arrows and the arrows are like sticking in him and he's walking with like all these flaming arrows out of him. Um, yeah. And they they run upstairs and 
They're trying to get out the window, but he's able to knock a bookshelf over on Gertie and Vicky. And this is sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like and this, that whole sequence, people start to die left and right real quick. Once things go awry, like the body count starts to climb. And that whole sh- sequence is like a one shot sequence. And it's actually really impressive. Like when they're shooting the arrows and, and like when he comes into the house, like the camera, like is above him and then it pans down and it sweeps across and it, this big fluid motion but he like yeah, like everything's going wrong, so they're trying to do anything they can to keep him back. But yeah, he um he traps the two girls, and you you see Vicky say, tell them go ahead. Like Vicky is like we've got this covered. Go on, and so the other characters get out through the window. Yeah, he he stabs. Well, he stabs Gertie. He stabs Gertie through the back, and it's it's very emotional because I love Gertie. And then she and and you know Vicky's there next to her trap. And grabs Gertie's hand as she's dying. And yeah, Vicky tells them to get out. And Vicky's able to dump the gas. Um, there was a bucket of gas a la Carrie up in the rack. And she's able to dump it on him. And he catches on fire and it just blows the whole room up. So, of course, Vicky burned herself to death, sacrificed herself for her. Yeah. And then there's that cool slow motion scene where he jumps out of the window like completely on fire. And the characters are, are running in slow motion. And they're like, what is going on? It's slow motion. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, you know, one, the whole thing, like the little touches that they have in the sense of the characters, it's like like what you said, like, you know, this movie is a comedy, but then you have these moments that are like when Gertie's stabbed and, and Vicky, who's kind of been this bitch character the whole time, you see her like take her hand and be there with her and comfort her and, and know she's going to die and um it's just yeah you, you suddenly feel these things that you wouldn't expect to feel <laughs> i i feel more about these characters dying than i do in most films in general that's because they're just written so well they're written so well but yeah so then you get up to this whole slow motion sequence and they're uh, the characters are running through the woods billy is pursuing them and we're down to chris max and nancy mm-hmm. yep and they kind of they they hide in like this little ravine, but but the um, uh, killer shows up and they get the bright idea for her to, for Nancy to start narrating the flashback again, so that they can get out of the their current situation. So she does it, and they get they go back into the flashback, and I and Billy's there, but he gets hit the car when it pulls up with all the kids hits him. <laughs> and they don't even acknowledge it. <laughs> they don't even acknowledge it. No, 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 they don't. They still get out and just like. And they get the machetes. Yes. And then Nancy hears herself. She hears herself narrating. And she's like, is that what I sound like? <laughs> it's just it's so, it's so well done. <laughs> but yeah, they get the machete. And then they get back to, you know, they get out of the flashback. And this is where Chris gets stabbed. Um, and Billy takes Nancy away. And... So Chris and Max, they they find like I guess it's this church out in the middle of nowhere, so that they can hide. And Billy or not Billy, Chris is like you know he's been stabbed. He's like I don't want to die, but you need to go. We, we need to, we need to get this done. So she runs and goes to find she goes to find Nancy, and she finds Nancy tied up, and she's able to get her loose. But Billy shows up, and they kind of have this really well executed little fight scene. Yeah, yeah. Um... And through this whole sequence, as everything is uh, 
building up, uh, Max gets injured and, uh, it's, it's, she's injured pretty badly. Like it's one of those things that I, it, it basically becomes clear that the, the path they're on right now, Nancy being the only virgin left from the film is kind of falling into the place of the final girl. You know, Nancy is, is the one that is going to survive, but in order for her to survive, everyone else has to die. Um, and Nancy has that realization. Yes. And this is the scene that basically they have the conversation about Nancy is telling her the only way that you are going to get out of alive is if I basically sacrifice myself. And She's like, it was my fate anyways in the film. I'm not scared. It was That's how it was supposed to be. And so if you want to live, in order for you to live, I'm going to do this. And it's very emotional. Very emotional. Um, if I were to say I had a, like on a list of top 10 scenes in films, for me personally, my top 10 favorite scenes in a film, regardless of genre, this scene would be on that list. This scene is so beautiful. Well, I want, yeah, I I mean this, I, I, I agree with you. I, I got teary eyed. I watched this film twice as we prepare. I usually try to watch the films that we do twice kind of to get, take it all in. And I literally teared up both times. I mean, it's, and I think this is the scene that this movie is kind of known for. And you will never look at, you know, you will never look at the song. You can never hear the song Betty Davis eyes the same way. I think after hearing, seeing this film, because she, uh, Nancy goes outside and the Betty Davis eyes song starts to play and she starts to to dance and strip to it. Um, And it's, it's very, very well done because the minute she opens her shirt, we see that Billy's kind of out in the distance and he's walking towards her and she knows he's behind her. and yeah, he, he stabs her in the back and she dies. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's that whole moment, first of all, again, with Tisa Formiga acting, just blowing me away. Like the, the, the choices she, that she made or, or was directed, whatever, however they got this performance out of her. Um, you know, I, I am in a situation where I lost my single mother at 18 and I like that, and that was my journey. And there are, and I like, I knew that that was something that in, in exploring this film, like for me, why this film really resonates with me is the, the journey that Max has of not wanting to let go of the past, but the past also not allowing her to progress in, in certain ways until she can finally let go of that what she's what she's clinging on to that anger and that, you know, everything that, you know, losing a parent is such a traumatic experience and and that trauma sticks with you. But, and and there's a certain point where you need to be able to move on from that uh, to, you know, evolve as a human. Um, And to me, everything in this film is a metaphor for Max's journey of letting go of that loss and moving forward while still being able to cherish her mother you know, and honor her mother and appreciate her mother. And that, that, I mean, the way that is played, that portrayal of that kind of loss is so uh, relatable. And I, I mean, like I I didn't know going into this film, the first time I saw it, I didn't know that that was what to expect. And I, I, I wept so hard watching the scene because 
I, oh my God, oh, like even talking about it, it gets me emotional. Like I, I felt that I understand that the moment where like, where Melanie Ackerman turns over her shoulder and she's like, and you're right. I'm a, I'm a star, you know, like that little line that she had had when she was Amanda in the car, I'm a movie star. And she does the exact same little thing. Cause she really, her mother is in there and you see that moment, like her mom is in that character. Like, Oh my God, it's just so well done. Like a movie like this doesn't, does not need to have that level of, of, of human emotion. Yet they chose to like give us that. And that's really beautiful. And I appreciate the script and the writer so much for going there with it. Yeah. And I feel like maybe it, it, it resonates, it, it resonates maybe more with, for people that maybe have lost their mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I first saw this film, I, I the, the scene got to me, I'll be honest with you. Yes, absolutely. When I saw this, when it first came out, it, the scene got to me, but it didn't get to me as much as it did this time because I lost my mother a couple of years ago. So, uh, you know, my mom was literally my, my best friend. Like if you look at the relationship at the beginning of the film between Max and, um, her mother very similar like my, my mom was my best friend i could tell my mom anything i told my mom anything and so when you lose a parent and you you have to get to that point where you realize you just have to kind of let go of the the the, the emotional build up and fall out from that and it's very lethargic and um yeah i don't even know if that's whatever cathartic not lethargic totally different <laughs> yeah no, it is cathartic is the word. Like, I mean, when I cried, like it wasn't, I mean, I was, I was, it was sadness, but it was also like, God, this is so like the love, like, even though this is like not her mother, it is just like, a, it, it's in a form, you know, her mom, but it's not really her mom. It's, it's like a, this character her mother played, but the traits of her mother is still carrying through like the love that's still there. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's very cathartic that whole scene. And like, you're right. I've never been able to listen to Betty Davis eyes in the same way after seeing this scene. Um, and I also have a theory that Kim Carnes is actually Rod Stewart in drag. We will discuss that more another time, but, um, but yeah, no, like, I mean, I could have, I could literally have a podcast simply on this scene, an entire podcast episode on why this scene is amazing, but it'll take forever. I will talk about it forever. So yeah, great scene, amazing performance. Give Melon Ackerman a goddamn Oscar. Give her something. Jesus, she's so likable. She is. Uh, yeah. Uh, she's amazing in this film. Like she's the heart of this film by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in a film full of just likable characters, she's really the standout. Um, by 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 a mile. Uh, although I like all the characters, but her her performance, like I said, is the heart of this film. And yeah, I I can't believe I said lethargic when I met cathartic. <laughs> <laughs> Grammar's a strong point. <laughs> you know, totally different meanings, but the scene is cathartic. Well, I'm an English teacher too, so that's even more sad. Right? Oh God, we're not editing that out. That's too good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. What was I going to say? Oh, so then basically, Max is able to go get the machete, and she has this this kind of final girl fight with Billy. Kicks his ass. Says that stupid line that could have been not in the film because I hate when characters make these stupid zany one-liners before that she's like, you fucked with the wrong, fi- the wrong final girl. I'm like, Oh God, did you really, that's eh, cringe. But she, she goes and fights them and it's beautiful scene. The cinematography in this scene is stunning. Oh my God. Like the lightning going off in the background, those big, long, 
uh, like the the distant shots of just like you just see like the the um the like the the church like the chapel and then you just see like this big field and they're just going at it they are just fighting yeah and the light in the sky is like purple the lightning's flashing it's it's very well done and finally she's able to kill him she cuts his head off clean clean off with the machete <laughs> and she goes back to uh to chris and they Credits start to roll. This is a really fun, this is a really cool effect too, because they go out of the barn and in the background of the screen, the credits of the Camp Bloodbath film start to roll. And they roll the whole, the whole credit. <laughs> like you get the whole thing. <laughs> and yeah, it's funny. You get to see like the names of like the actor that played, you know, Kurt and all the, and like weird, but uh, they kiss. Because, of course, we knew that they were a thing, although I think he's way too hot for her. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so mean. <laughs> Daddy. But uh, um, they wake up in the hospital. And this is a – I God, this – and the film ends, like, on a strong note, too. Oh, I know. They wake up in the hospital, and they – realize they hear like people talking next to them and they go over and open the curtain and it's all the, everyone's alive. Um, Duncan's there, Gertie's there, Vicky's there. They're all alive. But like they also acknowledge that yes, the movie actually happened because Duncan has like a massive <laughs> like stitchered scar going across his torso, which it makes me curious is how the girls had no burn marks all over them. But you know, I mean like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm happy they're all there. I didn't want anyone to die. So I'll settle. There are, yeah, there are little things like, cause I thought the same thing. Okay. So he has stitches, but she's not burnt to a crisp. It doesn't. Whew, okay. But whatever. But this is where it gets really interesting. Cause they, uh, you start to hear the music, the eerie Billy music. And they, they, they all peek out in the hallway and there's that you know, pervert doctor trying to get the nurse to have sex with them. <laughs> and then Billy just comes busting through the hospital glass door. They're in a sequel. Oh my God. It's so good. I love it. They are in Camp Bloodbath too, and the 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 film ends where she uh, Max grabs the uh, what is it the um the, the stand that holds the drip. yeah with like the, with the um the IV <laughs> yeah and she she starts charging at him and the movie ends. So we don't know the fate of our characters. And I'm wondering why there was never a sequel. Oh my God. It's so meant for a sequel. Like, I feel like the only reason there wasn't a sequel is because I think when it initially came out, I mean, as many of these indies, unfortunately are in the, this is the case when it, things are released straight to DVD. I just don't think it made the budget back to warrant a sequel, but it's because it's developed such a fan following um through streaming and so forth like i would absolutely watch a sequel i would watch a whole series i want them to go up against every single horror trope that exists this cast of characters they're fabulous so um yeah unfortunately we have not seen a sequel yet but like i feel like it is meant to be um eventually unless they're just too old to do it now but whatever i'll take it um but as a standalone film it's still phenomenal yeah, yeah, you if it's one of the it's such a great film. Such a great film. Like I said, I I watched it twice and I could have watched it five more times. And I mean it just it's one of those films that I just don't think you can get sick of. It's so good, so well done. The script is so clever. The performances are top notch. 
by everyone. Um, the I mean the the score is amazing. Amazing. The cinematography is amazing. I mean it's it's such a great film. The soundtrack that they use as well, like in the like they use a lot of songs you know from that era, and they just got like they got the rights to like I mean you got Hey Mickey, you've got Betty Davis Eyes, you've got Cherry Pie, like it's just um, it's such a, a homage to that era. They do such a good job, especially having people from today contrasting people from then, and like it's just so so smart. And that's the reason like that trope of them going into a movie within a movie works because it's so self aware. You know, I think that's why it works is because they, they play it off as a joke, but they, then they give you this like layer of heart and amazing character development that like you just, I don't, I think most people don't expect it going into this. And that really for me is what makes us transcend as a piece of cinema at its core. Like there's a lot of things in this film that I've seen before. Like you said, there's things to compare to this movie and that movie, but the characters and the heart in this film, I can't think of another movie in the genre that touches it. You know, it's just beautiful. And when I see reviews of this film, people acknowledge that, like it resonates with people. Um, and it really, at its core, it's about, get, you know, getting through grief and getting through trauma and learning to fight your own demons. And, and they, it does it flawlessly. Yeah. It's a much more, it's a much deeper um, emotional film than you will probably see in, in this genre. Um, there's so much layering to this film in terms of, like, like you said, metaphor, how you can read into it and what it represents. And I think it's going to represent different things to different people based on their experiences. But like for me and you losing our mothers, we kind of look at this film probably in a different way. But I, I still think that anybody you know, whether you've lost a parent or not can connect to this film on some level and, and realize what it was trying to do and how successfully it did it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, and the, in the hands of another, maybe director, even though we don't really know this director hasn't done a lot. So it'd be interesting to see him do something else kind of in the same vein, but yeah, it could have been a mess. It could have been a mess. Um, yeah, but it was not, it was, it was, the, the final result is something really beautiful. Um, and so, you know, to all you gays listening, I mean, in the, in honor of this film, please go put on Betty Davis eyes and weep with us. Cause I know that's what I will be doing <laughs> after we finish this. I'm going to go listen to Kim Carnes, AKA Rod Stewart and drag. And I'm going to uh, listen to that song and weep <laughs> because that is what it does to me now. Um, but yeah, there's, there we have it. The final girls, uh, a, a modern day classic. It is. It is. I have absolutely. No yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you've not seen it, but you chose to listen to this, I'm sorry, we spoiled it, but you know what you're fucking getting into by this point. So too bad, go watch it. Um, and, uh, you know, let us know what you think. Um, give us some feedback on our review. I'm, I feel like a lot of people are on the same page as us, though. Uh, yeah, I think a lot, I don't think I I have I have yet to find a person that does not like this film. If you are one, if you are a person that does not like this film, please, because I'm curious. Uh, please why? comment at, or yeah, on on this when we post this episode, comment and why why you don't like this film. I'm, I'm I'm genuinely curious and be prepared for us to come back and insult you for it. No, I'm, jo <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, but Hey man, moving, I mean, moving forward, um, cause the, the, under the next, uh, the next project, next, um, review, uh, I'm, I, you know, you've been having a theme 
this week, which was killers in stores. And I decided that I too have a theme and it's a theme that's carried over now into several reviews. Um, my theme is movie theater screenings gone awry. No, oh. we had it with the blob. We have it with the final girls. And now with my next selection, we have it with demons from 1985 by Lamberto Baba. I love that movie. Oh my lordy, lordy, lordy. That will be fun. That will be you know, I, I've been wanting to get into this one because, and, and you'll, I hope you'll see this, um, but I, um, A, with, with my film Rebirth, I took a lot, of, uh, a lot of influences, little moments of influence from Argento, who produced this film. And it's very clear that he produced this film because he, this is a lot of Argentoisms. Um, but also the eyes. This is one of the first inspirations I had for like the eye effect. I oh, yeah. Zombie. I love, love, love the, the the look of the demon eyes in the distance in this film. It's always stood with me. So I, um, yeah, I thought this would be really fun to get into because it's yet another movie theater based horror experience. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a classic. It, it's an underrated classic. I think a lot of people, I think a lot of everyday movie uh, viewers are all often turned off by foreign cinema. And even when some of these films, uh, you know, and, the, and we won't get too much into it because we're going to be reviewing it next. But a lot of these films um, are split English. Like, you know, some, are, some of the dialogue is English. Some of it's in Italian. They did that a lot because they bring in these English actors. Um, and I think a lot of the average viewers just see an Italian film and they automatically get hesitant. Uh, but this one is worth visiting and it is worth our reviewing. I love this movie. So, yeah, spoiler, I love this movie. So it'll be a... It'll be another good review, I think, because, but I haven't watched this movie in a minute, so it'll be interesting revisiting it, um, because I do remember this movie being, like, very of its time. It's very 80s, very, yeah, God, this, it's, it's, it's a great movie. And, yeah, if you haven't seen it, watch it before our episode, and please don't be one of those people that are like, I don't watch foreign horror movies, or I don't watch black and white. I, there was a, Oh my God. Oh. There was a reviewer. He used to have a review site. Thank God he kind of dropped off the face of the earth, but he used to have a review site and he was like on Facebook. He was, he was like, I won't, I won't watch a, a subtitled movie or a movie in black and white. And I'm like, dude, you have no business having a review site then like, seriously. That means you just don't appreciate true cinema. Like that's just another aspect of cinema. Like how could you disregard so much phenomenal art just because it's done in black and white or because it's in another language is so stupid whatever i'm over it <laughs> we're purposely going to only review black and white cinema from now on so. <laughs> and subtitled movies and subtitled movies like demons um but like yeah demons. so guys uh please tune in for our next review demons by lamberto bava produced by the iconic dario argento Yes, I was going to say, although it's, yeah, although Dario Argento's name is like 50 times bigger than <laughs> the director's name on the box and the poster, uh, they knew they were, they knew what they were doing though. Yeah, um, they knew where their money was coming from. That's why your name is 20 times bigger on the teacher shortage poster. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, come on now. But Troy, this was a good one. God, I like talking about this one with you. Yeah, I got, well, yeah, it was. We went, we went to places that, you know, was, Oh, yeah. Touching, touching. 
Uh, and to all of our listeners, I hope we touched you too. I hope we touched you emotionally, in some cases touched you physically. Um, but until next time, keep on touching yourselves. Yeah. Well, if you need to be touched, reach out. Troy's hey, no, <laughs> <laughs> <Troy's> lonely. <laughs> I'm lonely here in Houston. Um, okay. <laughs> so that will end on that. All right. So you all take care. You will see you next week with demons. Demons. All right. Thank you, guys. And don't forget... Like our page, like our Instagram, tell your friends. Oh, give us a review on Apple. Any well, what if you wherever you listen, give us a review. We only have six reviews on uh, six ratings on Apple. Um, come on, we, we we know we've had more than six people listen. It helps. It helps. It really does. It doesn't. Even if you're going to insult us, <laughs> yeah, it helps. Well, it just the reviews help people find the podcast. Like if they're searching for a horror podcast, the ones that have a lot of reviews get popped up first. So it does help us. I mean. We know there are a lot of horror themed podcasts out there, but we think we think we're pretty fun. We laugh at ourselves. <laughs> I laugh my ass off when I'm editing these episodes. So I might maybe I'm one of those I'm one of those people that yeah I, I think I'm hilarious. Oh my god! I listen to them and I'm like ah, well, people must. And love in the us. meantime, everyone's like shutting it off three minutes. <laughs> Fast forwarding. <laughs> well, on that note. If you guys made it this far, we'll see you next week. Yes. All right. <laughs> Good, Good night. Good night. Good night.